I'm going to introduce my friend. We have a guest uh, who's going to be bringing the message this morning, and his name's Scott Sauls. Come on up here, Scott. Scott is uh, a dear friend of mine. Scott was the... uh, uh, Scott, for practical purposes, gave me my first job uh, in pastoral ministry at the church in Kansas that I came from. Scott's the guy who planted that church. And uh, he's visiting in town this weekend, and I knew he was coming, and I said I'd love for you to be able to preach to us at at 12 South here. So Scott is currently uh, a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, and he's a preaching pastor there and pastor of community as well. So um, anyway, I'm excited he's here, and I'm going to pray for you in just a minute and read the passage of Scripture. We're going to be spending the month of December in uh, Luke's nativity story. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, reading the first couple of chapters where Luke tells the story of the coming of Christ and the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to get into that today, and uh, Scott's going to take us into that, and then I'll later lead us in a time of coming to the Lord's table. But I want to read the passage of Scripture that Scott's going to be preaching from, and then, and then pray, and then we'll hand it over to you. All right, this is from Luke chapter 1. This is the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the uh, just, just... the, the response to our profound and deep need for rescue that we have uh, in this account uh, of, of the Son of God coming in the flesh. Uh, Lord, would you open our ears and our, and our hearts and our minds to understand um, what the story is teaching us today. And uh, we just, we thank you for this season where we celebrate incarnation and we thank you for this Sunday when as we're celebrating incarnation, we come to this communion table uh, to remember why. You came in the flesh. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and for your glory. Amen. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me here uh, with you. It's an, it's an honor to be uh, teaching at the, 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 the church that is uh, led by my longtime friend and now favorite author, uh, the great Russ Ramsey. And um, uh, ever since I've known Russ, we've known each other for something close to 10 years, I, I've known one thing about him, and that is that he loves Nashville. Nashville was just about all he could talk about even when he came to Kansas City. So 
Uh, it's great that a match has been made uh, between Midtown and, uh, and the Ramseys, and um, because of that, I get to be here today. So I'm, I'm especially grateful and glad for that. Um, we're talking about Luke 1. Uh, obviously, that's what, what uh, uh, Russ just read uh, today is, um, as uh, part of the Advent uh, season. And let me just uh, begin by uh, introducing uh, to you something about uh, my life, and that is that I, uh, I'm married to a woman now, uh, 16 years, Patty and I have been married, and, um, and she's a very, very deep sleeper. Um, and uh, she sleeps so deeply and so quietly that there, there actually have been many nights over the course of our marriage where I've actually reached over, put my hand on her back just to make sure she's breathing. And, and there have actually been some times where I've put my hand on her back and I didn't feel a breath because, um, well, I just didn't feel a breath. And, and so, so I actually uh, reached for her wrist or her neck to feel for a pulse. Uh, and every time I'm, I'm assured by the pulse, and, and, and the reason why you're assured uh, by your spouse's pulse is that the pulse, just like the breath, is it's a vital sign. Uh, it's, it's a sign that, that life I- exists. And um, what we have in front of us this morning is uh, what uh, Bible scholars and theologians and, and really Christians throughout the centuries have known to be uh, the Asun- uh, Annunciation. It's where the angel Gabriel comes to 15-year-old uh, woman Mary and announces to her that you will be pregnant with a child. And uh, then we see Mary wrestling with this announcement, trying to make sense of it in, in the text. And what we get from this, uh, this experience that Mary has with this supernatural encounter with the angel of God uh, is essentially three vital signs. Uh, there are three things that indicate that, 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 m- that Mary herself uh, has uh, spiritual vitality, that the life of God has been born in her. It's like her spiritual pulse or her spiritual breath. Uh, and there, there are essentially three, um, three signs that, that we're going to look at uh, this morning and try to, tra- try to intersect it with our own life and experience and ask what these things mean for us. Uh, So the three signs are the sign of the intellect, the sign of the will, and the sign of the heart. And so we'll just start with uh, the sign of the intellect. Um, Mary's encounter with God uh, shows us that that any legitimate, true, authentic encounter with the supernatural uh, is going to stimulate the mind. It's going to get you thinking, uh, in other words. Uh, you know, the Spirit of God turns us into thinking people uh, when we encounter Him. Uh, you know, it says here, again, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. He announces that she, an unwed virgin, will soon be with child. And Mary's natural response, of course, is to wed faith and science together with a question. How can these things be? Since I'm a virgin, we all know this is scientifically impossible, and yet you're saying these things are going to be so. And it says in verse 29, she's greatly troubled at the saying. It says that she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. Um, now, oftentimes the modern secular assumption is that, that you can't be uh, a pers- both a person of faith and a person of, of intellect. Um, you know, belief and, and a robust thought life don't go hand in hand. Um, and, and so, uh, 
you know, from the secular modern mindset, you might look at an experience like Mary's here and say, well, of course, you know, if, of course Christianity can't be true because everybody knows that there's no such thing as a pregnant virgin. Um, and, I mean, talking with an angel, I mean, come on, really. And, um, you know, the assumption is that, that, that people back then in Mary's time were superstitious and they believed all sorts of things that, that we in our sophisticated technological scientific age uh, don't believe because we're, we're more sophisticated and technological people now. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that people's IQs back then uh, were just as high as people's IQs are today. And um, Mary was a smart woman. Uh, Mary was, uh, was injecting her mind into this very odd, strange, existential um, experience that, that, that she was having. And um, you know, she certainly does not check her brain in at the door uh, when she goes to meet with God. Uh, she doesn't turn her mind off. If, if anything, she turns it on uh, all the more to try to make sense of, of what's going on. Uh, the word here that's translated discern in, in most of the English texts uh, comes from the Greek word legizomai, which, which means to employ fierce logic. Uh, it means to, uh, to take a mental audit of what's going on, and, and that's, that's precisely what uh, the blessed virgin and mother of God is doing here in this text. Um, and if anything... Mary's experience shows us, it demonstrates for us that, that intellectual analysis is not uh, inferior to intuition. The life of the mind is not inferior to the life of the heart when it comes to supernatural encounters, engaging with God. Um, we're, you know, the Bible itself says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and what? Your mind, your head. And really, the truth of the matter is, any open-minded look at Christianity, any open-minded assessment of the claims of, of Christ, of the claims of the, the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, will necessarily lead to some significant mental wrestling. And that's what's going on right here. And, and the, the encouraging thing is that, that, that the Bible says, bring it on. It, it demonstrates, bring it on. The Psalms are full of questions. I can't make sense of all of these circumstances. I can't make sense of the path that you've set for me, God. Help me to understand it. If, if, and if not understand it, then help me to at least trust the path that you've set for me so I can walk through it. The, the, the Bible is full of people wrestling in their intellect with the claims of faith uh, on their lives. Um, you know, why is that the case? It's because on the one hand, I can't dismiss Christianity as something that's not credible because Christianity... Uh, more than any other movement, more than any other philosophy, more than any other politic, more than any other anything, has brought good into the world uh, over the course of history. Uh, that, that includes the world of the arts, that includes the world of science and academics, that includes uh, the world of, of, of government and legislature, that includes uh, the world of justice, of, of, of addressing the needs of the poor and the injustices of, of, of societies and, and cultures and such. There's been no movement uh, on the face of the earth that, that has had the impact that Christianity has. And so you can't just dismiss it uh, you know, because of stories about virgins that are pregnant and, and angels. But you, you still have to wrestle with those things. You still have to wrestle with those things if you're an honest person. I mean, you have, still have to wrestle with the claims of Christianity. Central to the teaching of Christianity are, are several things. 
that really don't make sense to the natural mind. Number one, losers are the ones who win. Number two, strength is born through weakness. Number three, life is experienced most richly through death. Number four, you become, you become truly rich by giving yourself away. Number five, the best way to defeat your enemies is to forgive them. Uh, and then number six, if you really want to enter into a deep experience with God and the community of God, then you need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Uh, and, and there's so many other things that you can draw out and extrapolate from what the Bible says that don't immediately make sense, that require some mental wrestling and engagement. But here's, here's the truth of the matter. You know, and, and I realize that there may be um, a number of, of, of folks who are maybe a bit cynical, a bit skeptical about about Christianity and its claims and, and about how Christ has been, uh, unfortunately, very poorly represented uh, in the Western culture uh, and so on. And um, so here's just some food for thought. If you're a thinking person, just to consider the fact that, that, there, that there have been scores of brilliant minds over the course of history who have opened those brilliant minds and, and, the, and the effect of opening their brilliant minds has been, you know, like the, the late G.K. Chesterton said, to, to end up closing it on something solid. Um, you know, Chesterton brilliantly said, the only reason, the only value of an open mind and the only purpose for an open mind is to eventually close it on something solid. After you've done all the mental wrestling and considering the possibilities and options, and the truth is that, that, that some of the most brilliant minds in history after grappling with the claims of Christianity through furious logic, not by checking their brains in at the door, but, but, but through the engagement of furious logic, of legitimai, have become Christians. You know, the, the late C.S. Lewis, uh, probably one of the more famous uh, former atheists, who became a believer in Christ after engaging his mind and con considering the claims of Christ. And, and it was Lewis who came to the conclusion that, that the reason Christianity must be true is that no human being could have ever invented it. It's just impossible. It's the strangest message. It's counterintuitive to every religion on the face of the earth. The natural religion of the human heart is, is, uh, is you know, essentially self-righteousness. Make your own way. You know, a, a achieve the right to be approved of and favored by God, whereas, whereas Christianity reverses that, that natural instinct and says, there's no way that you can, he's got to reach you in order for you to, to be reached. And so it's, it's counterintuitive. Uh, so there's C.S. Lewis, who is an Oxford historian. There's, there's people like uh, Simon Greenleaf, distinguished uh, professor of legal evidences at Harvard School of Law. Uh, there's people like Blaise Pascal, um, you know, brilliant philosopher, practically invented modern-day statistics as well. Um, people like Francis Collins, more modern, uh, you know, person in the world of science. He's the, the architect and, and, and uh, foremost leader of what's known as the Genome Project. Um, you know, there's Jonathan Edwards, uh, you know, a famous guy in Midtown's tradition, right? Uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards was much more than a, a theologian, and a lot of people don't realize this, but, but Jonathan Edwards was the founding president of Princeton University. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica actually once said about Jonathan Edwards that, that he is the brightest intellect that, to ever step foot on North American soil. And that's a secular encyclopedia saying this about Edwards. He bought into all this, you know, virgin pregnant stuff as well after he engaged his intellect. Um, you know, did you know this, that every single Ivy League university, except for one, 
uh, was founded by Christian ministers. Did you realize that's also true of Vanderbilt University, right down the road? You can't say that Christianity is not for thinking people. You just can't. Um, you know, the most open minds will eventually see, after engaging and wrestling with furious logic, the most open minds and the truly open minds have to come to the conclusion eventually. When they look at the contribution that Christianity has made to the world, when, when they see the brilliant people who've embraced it, you have to come to the conclusion that it takes more faith to reject it than it does to receive it. Even with, with stories about blessed virgins and, and so on, having children. Faith begins not by turning the mind off, but by turning it on more than you ever have. Uh, and so Mary asks, how can these things be so? That is the question of an academic. How do we reconcile these claims with reality? How do we reconcile faith and science? You, you, you don't separate them. You don't divorce them because it's all God's world. Okay, so there's a sign of the intellect. Second, there's the sign of the will. Uh, you know, this question that she asks, how can this be so, it, it also means how am I supposed to do this? Of all people in the world, how am I supposed to carry through with what you, the angel of the Lord, are asking of me? Because the angel comes to her. Remember, she's 15 years old, in the ancient Middle East. And the angel says to her, you're going to have a child. And, and, and for Mary, to follow through with the angelic agenda w would be to commit social suicide. Now, in, in our day and age and in our culture, it, it's kind of cool to be a single parent. It, it's, it's sort of... You know, if you can afford all the, the means and resources to, you know, there are a lot of celebrities, you know, becoming, you know, single parents and so on. And, um, and a lot of people are forced into single parenthood and, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, you know sympathy and compassion and, and admiration for those who uh, are forced into being single parents in our culture. But in Mary's culture, it was, it was a sign that you'd been cursed to be a single parent. And then to, to, to make matters worse... You know, the prophecy was that her son was going to suffer, and, and everybody knows that, that, that every mother, everybody who's ever been a mother knows that, 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 that every mother is only as happy as her most miserable child. You know, and Jesus was going to enter the world, you know, in which there was a megalomaniac king who had, who had uh, you know, issued a decree that there would be a genocide in the entire kingdom because it was announced that, that some other baby was born that was supposed to be a king. And, you know, that's the world that Jesus entered into, into a homeless family. He had no place to lay his head, the, the, you know, born in the end, no room there. And, and, and then the way he left the world for the first time, you know, through his death, it was just, you know, at the hands of Roman executioners. Um, this was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And this was the boy that Mary was going to raise. And she was going to endure all of that heartache. Um, you know, Mary didn't know whether or not Joseph was her fiance was going to leave her, and you know in that culture, um, you know people had calendars, L like we have calendars in our culture, and people would ask the question, okay, so engaged on this date, married on this date, baby on this date, hmm. and so Mary knew that the whole society was going to conclude one of two things: either she had been unfaithful to Joseph, her fiance. Or they had been sleeping together, both of which were, were very, very taboo uh, things in, in Mary's culture. It would have essentially put her on the lip of poverty for the rest of her life because she would have been put on the margins 
wouldn't have been able to get um, you know, a job anywhere, anywhere. Nobody would hire her because of the shame, the public shame uh, in that culture that a woman in, in her situation w- would have to endure and experience. You know, her little boy would be the brunt of all the your mom jokes on the playground growing up um, because he would be seen as an illegitimate child, you know, ill-conceived. And so basically the angel of the Lord is saying, by saying you will be with child, is saying you are going to have heartache for the rest of your life and that this is the mission that, that God is placing upon you. You know, it's inside this perfect storm that, that with no visible assurances that anything's going to be okay for Mary ever again, she says, I'm the Lord's servant, let it be to me as you've said. Now, this is where we, 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 we begin to understand the true nature of surrender. Do you want to know if you've ever obeyed God? If you've ever really obeyed Him? You, you just have to ask yourself a simple question. Have I ever followed God in a direction that I didn't want to go, but that He was clearly leading me? And number two, have I ever followed God down a path that I did not understand? And I couldn't make sense of, but I followed it anyway because it was very clear that God was leading me down that path. You know, like forgive your enemies or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, that's the true test of surrender. You know, there's, there's a difference uh, between agreeing and surrendering. You know, because ag- agreeing allows us to be, be selective. Surrender means that we take our hands off of our life and, and we say, you know, oh, Captain, guide me, direct me, lead me, and I'll follow you wherever you go, even to the death. There's a big difference. You know, if I go to one of my daughters and I, I, I you know, particularly the younger one who has a sweet tooth, and I say, you need to eat this chocolate chip cookie right now, and, and after you eat this cookie, I am commanding you to eat a bowl of ice cream. You know, and of course, my, my nine-year-old daughter's going to come back and say, Dad, I'm, I'm totally on board. I'm complete submission here, complete surrender. Uh, in fact, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll even have a second bowl of ice cream if, if that would please you all the more. Um, you know, the test of whether or not she is, has a surrendered heart is not here, eat this cookie and this ice cream. The test is here, eat these Brussels sprouts. Or here, clean your room now. Or here, turn the TV off. Uh, you know, or whatever it might be. Or here, forgive your sister. Uh, or here, apologize to your sister. That's even harder than forgiving uh, with siblings. That's the test of surrender. When, when, when you are asked to go down a path that you don't like or that you don't understand and you follow because you trust the disposition and the heart of the one commanding you more than you trust your own heart. You, 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 you trust the fact that, that he loves you more than you'll ever love yourself that he knows what's good for you and for the world around you better than you'll ever know or understand what's good for you or the world around you. you the wisdom of Mary is evident when she defers to the wisdom of God. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, another, another kid's story um, that I think has illustrated this in, in a very palatable way to, to my wife and I is, is uh, the well-child visits to the doctor. The well-child visits are, are, are you know, three months, six months, uh, 12 months, 18 months, I think. You take them in and they get their shots, their vaccinations, right? And this is a young, you know, baby, you know, infant, toddler. And uh, basically they like, uh, you know, if there are two parents in the home, they like to have both parents come. And, uh, you know, the role that, that the nurse or the doctor gives to the father 
is to oppress the child, <laughs> you know, to basically put the two hands on the shoulders, hold the child down, uh, and, and force them to be still while some stranger comes at them with a needle that, that looks this long to the child because the child's only this big. And the mother's job is, I don't know, I understand who makes this decision that the dad does this and the mom does this, but the mother's job is to whisper sweet nothings in the child's ear and, and be affirming and loving and comforting. And I'm like, why did I, why can't I do that? You know, why, why can't she be the one? And, and so, so I'm the one holding the child down. And every, every time, I think I did it like, like, I don't know, 10 times or so between the two children, um, and they don't understand what's going on. All they know is they're going to get stuck. And, and, and so, so every time they're looking at me, and, and there's this look on their face uh, that, that, that says, without them having to say anything, I, I thought we were friends. Um, you know, I, I thought we were headed down the same path. I thought we were on the same mission. And, and, and here you are holding me down so that I can get stuck and, and so I can get hurt. Yeah, but the truth of the matter, the wisdom behind what doesn't make sense that requires fierce logic to, to get to and to understand is, is that, that it would be infinitely more unloving for me to shield them from ever having to get those shots. So subject them to polio, the measles, the mumps, early death. You know, sometimes the things that we, we, we interpret or that we, um, we understand as God's curses are actually the, the, the gifts of God that, 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 that will bring riches and fullness to our lives and, 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 and blessing to the world and goodness and riches to the world through us. And that's what's happening with Mary. She has no indication that things are going to get, good, get better. If anything, they're going to get worse. And yet there's a surrender. There's a taking of the hands off the life. There's a trusting in the needle of God because she also hears the whisper of God. It says, you're highly favored. Um, the Lord is with you. So there's the sign of the intellect, the sign of the will, and, and then finally there's the sign of the heart. Now, Mary's heart erupts later on. You know, later on, there's a couple of texts later, there, there's, there's um, you know, this, this beautiful poem, this beautiful song that, that, that we call the Magnificat. That's where, where Mary sings of the magnificence of, of the, the son that, 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 that is uh, you know, going to be birthed uh, through her and of the God who placed that son uh, in her womb and what it all means. You know, and one of the things that she says in this love song is, is you know, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. <clears throat> and what's the basis for this inflamed heart? What, what gets Mary from wrestling and, 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 and fierce logic to, to a heart that ex that's exploding with, with you know, music better than mu any music you'll ever produce in Nashville? Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's what the Bible calls fear. Isn't that strange? You know, it says in verse 27 that Mary was greatly troubled by the angel's words. In many other English translations, it says Mary was afraid because of the angel's words. She feared, feared and yet we have the angel coming to her twice in the same text saying, do not fear. Do you know that's the most repeated command in the whole Bible? Don't fear. So on the one hand, the Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And on the other hand, the Bible is saying everywhere, don't fear. Well, two different things are being said in two different circumstances, but they really mean the same thing. 
You know, and this is where we need to employ our logic. We need to do a little bit of legitimize, uh, like Mary. What, what does this mean? What do these things mean? When the Bible talks about fearing God, we, we, we need to discard any sense of, 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 of the, you know, the Bible is telling us to dread God because he's coming after us with a whip and he's going to hold us down and he's not going to whisper anything sweet in our ear. Now, every time we hear the words fear of God, we need to receive them in, in, in the setting where, where that same God is also saying to us, greetings, you who are favored by the Lord, for the Lord is with you. Those two, two things need to be married together. And, and then when that happens, fear begins to wear different, a different kind of clothing than we're used to putting on the notion of fear. If the Lord comes to us and says, don't be afraid, you're favored by God. The only kind of fear, what is the only kind of fear left when we've been loved by somebody who has every right to crush us, but instead he chooses to love us and delight in us and sing magnificent songs over us? What's the only fear left? The only fear left is, is, is not the fear of, of being crushed, but, but, but the fear of, of crushing. Our, our, our only fear left is, is not the fear of, of being disappointed, but of disappointing. You know, our, the only fear left is, is not the fear of, of being injured, but of, of injuring, of, of, of adding more grief to the heart of God who has loved us and given himself for us. It's, it's the fear of, of not reciprocating on on this great and infinite and unfailing love that's been lavished on us through what Jesus has done. You know, the pulse of a real Christian is to be energetic, zealous, and full-hearted about living for God, following Him into the light, following Him into the dark because He can be trusted on the basis of His love. You know, a real Christian takes joy in saying to the Father, your wish is my command, or, or as the psalmist David says, how I love your law, how I delight in it, or, or how Mary says it here. You know, let it be to me as you've said. You know, and, and, and it's this Christmas word, this explosive Christmas word that, that gives Mary and David and everyone else who understands these things the basis for responding with, with, with love. And that is the word incarnation. The incarnation means two things, the first of which is that he shares our situation. Who's seen the movie Shrek? Anyone? Okay, so six of you. I'm um, surprised by that. Um, in the movie Shrek, there's, there's this insecure king named Lord Farquaad, and, and there's a certain uh, scene in the movie where he's gathered all of the valiant warriors in his kingdom uh, into one place, and their mission is to go out and find uh, the missing princess, and they're to retrieve her and bring her back so that he can marry her. And one of the things he says to all of these valiant warriors as they're about to go out and find his princess is, some of you will die in this effort, but that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we, we, we look at that, we have this visceral reaction, you know, like, like you know, we all know this, that, that the ivory tower king who does not get his hands dirty, who does not enter into the mess of his kingdom cannot be trusted and should not be taken seriously. And Jesus is a far cry from that kind of king. I mean, Dor Dorothy Sayers puts it well when she says this, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, 
he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it was well worth his while. The Most High voluntarily becoming the most low. When that reality gets into the heart, there is no basis left for cynicism about the things of God and about the path that he's taking us down. We can even get energized by, the, by, by paths like Mary's when we understand that the Most High became the most low for our sake. He entered into our condition. He didn't just bark at us from the ivory tower and some of you will die, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. No, said, I will die and that's a sacrifice I'm, I'm eager to make so that you will live forevermore. So he shares our situation. He also redeems our situation. We have Mary here the poor, ostracized, misunderstood, invisible teenage mother. And now the whole world knows her name and celebrates her as, as, um, as, as the, uh, you know, the blessed virgin mother of, of the blessed Jesus. Millions arise and call her blessed. But it's not because of the name of Mary that we rise and call her blessed. It, it's, it's because of another name. The angel says, you shall name him Jesus. You know, in that day and age, just like in our culture, it was the parents' right to name the child, but not this time. You know, the Lord says, you are not going to name this child. Instead, this child is going to name you. And so you shall call his name Jesus. And in calling his name Jesus, that also gives your name because the name Jesus means the Lord saves, which, which suggests two things that you must embrace as you let the Lord name you and as you yield to him. Number one, you need saving. You are more broken, you are a bigger mess than you ever dared to think, than you ever had the courage to think. More broken and a bigger mess. You, know, you just think about it this way. If, 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 if my household were to go to the Christmas tree during the Christmas holiday at that time where we all open gifts for each other, and I have three gifts under the, 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 the tree, one from my wife, one from one of my daughters, one from another. And the gifts are a, a, um, a, a carton or a case of Altoids, uh, a box of Rogaine, and a copy of the book Emotional Intelligence. You know, what, what the people who know me best are saying is you have bad breath, you have a receding hairline, and you're socially awkward. <laughs> you know, and to receive those gifts requires an admission on my part that I need these gifts. And the people who love me most in the world are, are telling me the truth. And not only are they telling me the truth, they're aiding me with my need, right? You know, to receive the gifts requires an admission that I'm more broken and I'm a bigger mess than I ever thought. But the other thing is the Lord saves. You're not only more broken, but you're also more loved than you ever dreamed. Um, you know, the angel says this to Mary. He says this to you. He says this to me. You are blessed of the Lord. You are highly favored. You are, the, you are a graced one, is what he says. 
In other words, every negative verdict that, 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 that you're processing and dealing with on a daily basis, whether it's the shame that comes at you from your culture, whether it's the shame that comes at you from your own heart on the basis of your own broken history, whether it's the shame of your parents or the shame of your, your industry uh, or the shame of not achieving all those things.